We're in Acts chapter 8, and uh, today, I promise you, we're going to be done with it. We've spent a fairly significant amount of time rolling through it, but we're watching something incredible unfold. If you need Bibles, raise your hand, and we'll pass them out to you. Something amazing has been unfolding before our very eyes. It's the move of God's Spirit, and we're watching and observing a God who saves. So if we're learning anything, we're, we're watching, and before our very eyes is a God who saves. You, me, we're going to watch him save others. Now, we've seen uh, Stephen and Philip. The book of Acts, other than really these two chapters, maybe three, half of chapter six, chronicles the story of really Peter, and then we'll eventually get to Paul, right? Uh, the beginning of Acts up till chapter 10-ish is this kind of Peter and some stories. And then the rest of it, we get into to Luke, or to uh, Paul and the travels he had. Luke was with him for a time. Uh, but these two chapters, we kind of pause and we get to look into the life and the ministry of something really important. And it's just two normal dudes. That's it. Not guys like Peter, James, James is dead now, but even the brother of Jesus had interaction with Jesus. John, Philip, Andrew, Bartholomew, Matthias, all these different guys, they sat with Jesus, right? They actually looked upon him and, and like beheld the king of kings, right? They, were, they, they watched what he did. They interacted and they watched how Jesus would talk to people and minister to them. So like they're like up here, man. They're they're awesome. <clears throat> they did it. That's awesome. And then Paul comes along, and he has this really interesting encounter with Jesus, where he calls him very specifically. That's next week. That'll be fun. But then we have this time period that the Bible talks about. It's 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 interesting. I don't, we don't know a lot about it. Where he had maybe fourteen years or something of isolation of just almost like relearning Jesus relearning scripture and all the things he had been taught and seeing Jesus in it. So Paul's a beast. Peter and the disciples, they're beasts as well. How do I relate to them? I don't know. They had seen Jesus. had supposed to, But hey, Philip and Stephen, you guys, listen, they're normal. They're like you. They're like me. They're normal guys who had gotten saved during the Acts chapter 2 outpouring of the Spirit of God. They heard the message preached of Jesus and they responded in faith, believing that the blood of Jesus so cleanses them from their sin that they're now a new creation set free, no longer in bondage to their sin. They've been made new. They believed it, and they're born again, filled with the Spirit. And uh, they get involved in the local church, right? You get saved, you get plugged into church, you start serving. You never know what will happen. Now, there were seven guys who started serving as specifically as deacons, helping minister and serve to the, the widows that were there. And of those seven, two, we kind of follow through the book of Acts here in these last two chapters. <clears throat> and really the story of Philip in this last part is a story of obedience and a story of listening to and hearing the, the voice of God, the, the leading of the spirit, being sensitive to it in such a way that you just never know what God's going to do. Blown away by the power and the move of God's spirit to reach out to a people. It's incredible. This would be a fun, this is a really fun section, I think. I don't know. You guys might be bored out of your mind. I think it's a blast. So we'll see. 
I know the jury's still out, so we'll we'll keep going here. <clears throat> Before we read it, evangelism. You'll see Philip sharing the gospel. You'll see a sensitivity to the move of his spirit. You'll see a person who's ready to share, who's got a message in place. He knows what he's doing, but he's being led by the Lord, of course. And then somebody who has a willing a willingness to say yes to whatever God is calling him to do, which can be scary and unknown at times. And we'll see that here. <laughs> so here's how it's going to work this morning. Well, the, the, today, I suppose. Acts chapter 26 through Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 29. We're going to, it's going to take a little while. All right. But you don't need to worry when it's like five minutes left and we're only to first 30. I'm not going to go over probably. We'll see. I got some encouragement that I can, so I appreciate that. Uh, but we'll move pretty quick through the rest of it, right? So when we hit verse 30, we'll have just some, like maybe some principles in regard, in relationship to evangelism. And we'll roll through that pretty quickly. But there's some really neat stuff I thought here up front that we're just going to hit on, slow down on, and just let the Lord teach us hopefully. So, all right, Father, have your way. Speak very clearly to your church. This is, these are your people whom you purchased with your own blood. So valuable, so loved by you. We pray that you would lead us and guide us into truth as we spend time in your word. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, arise and go toward the south. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this place is desert, or this is a deserted place. Uh, what's going on and what's happening? You can maybe imagine the difficulty that Philip would have, <clears throat> excuse me, Philip would have in leaving where he was. What was Philip experiencing when the angel spoke? Now, it's interesting. Here we have an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. I don't know if you guys have had angels speak. I personally haven't. I've been saved by angels. That was a weird story. You can come talk to me later. But what is this? Now, usually, like, has, as we walk through this as believers, what we'll say, if you say, like, the Lord spoke to me, like, what do you mean by that, right? Is you have, you've sensed God move in your heart. There's something going on in there. It can be difficult to articulate because I'm not actually hearing, me personally, probably relates to most of you. I'm not actually hearing a voice, but there's something going on where he speaks to me. I can, like I've been made alive because of the work of Jesus. I'm a new creation. He made me alive. And so my spirit now can interact with God and I have a relationship with him. Now that which was once broken and dead because of sin, well, he's fixed it and he's made me alive. That means for those of you out there who aren't born again and you're trying to understand that connection, like, why can't I, I don't sense God. You're not born again. You're still dead in your sins. You need to be saved. You need to put your faith in Jesus and he'll make you alive. And then you'll begin to interact with a God who, who you can know, who wants you to know him, who desires and pursues you. And so we say like God spoke, well, uh, there's times where we'll be reading in the word. And he'll speak and minister to, like, I don't know, an impression maybe is put on your heart or you're thinking of these things. And Bill oftentimes had said, there's stuff that comes into your head. He called it a wonderment, right? And then you'd put it back onto the Lord. Like, Lord, I'm thinking through these things. I'm just wondering, like, ah, is this what you're doing? I don't know. And you put it back in his lap. You just say, God, here's this, whatever this is. And I'm putting it back on your lap. And I'm just going to allow you to then bring it back to me as you see fit and allow him to speak all in accordance with his word. Like we spend time. Now, listen. We spend time in his word, 
uh, because the word of God is living and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It can divide the joint and the marrow. And then what can it do? It, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And so if I'm wondering like, God, is this you? Is this, I don't know. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of your heart where I can go here and I can trust that I'm in a place of safety where God will speak. And I continue to go to this and say, all right, is this in accordance with your word? God will never tell you to do something contrary to his word. You can, you can rest assured there and the principles that you find in there. It was, uh, Dave Goebel just shared that little sweet tidbit. There's principles that are biblical and that God will never go against or anything. So we have this, that's safety there, right? We know that God will speak to you. But also Jesus said this, my sheep will know my voice. He's the good shepherd. And when you, when you become his sheep, you'll know his voice. You'll be able to discern it. Could it be difficult sometimes? Of course it can. That's why we have a community of believers where you can bounce things off of. It's like, man, this is what's going on. It's been in my heart time and time again. I just don't know what to do with it. It keeps coming back. And somebody can be like, oh, dude, let me show you. Like the Bible actually speaks to that. Like, no, you shouldn't. Or like, that's absolutely what God would, whatever it might be. Oh, thank you for pointing that out, right? We interact with one another. We're in community together, learning from each other, things like that. You also can spend time in prayer. Like what I had mentioned, what Bill had said is that, and I've learned so much from what he had said, is you have that thing and you just go to him in prayer and you sit in silence or you sit there and you just put it back into his lap. It's like, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm, I'm going to let go of whatever it is in hopes that you'll then bring it back. And here's what happened oftentimes is whatever that is, let's just say it's a relationship. This is something I had to go through with my wife where we have this desire to get married, but we don't know the timing of it. So we feel like God is leading us to get married. So we take it before him and say, God, is this what you have? And just open-handed with it. And he, came, he brings it back. It's something that's constantly on our mind. I'm in the word and I feel like I can't think anything but that. Not in a weird way because you're like, well, of course, you're in love. You want to get married. But it's like we're open-handed. Like God, lead us and guide us, direct us. We're just trusting and hoping that he will do that. In all honesty, being open-handed with whatever it is he's calling us to do. His word is a discerner of the thought and the intents of your heart. This is where we can go for him, for him to speak to us. Uh, it could get a little bit sketchy sometimes when I rely upon an angel to speak to me. Does it happen in Scripture? And the answer is yes. Can we say that God doesn't speak like that? I can't say that. We see it in Scripture. I know that's how God has worked. I personally haven't experienced that. I know there are those who would say that this has happened, but it'll never contradict God's word ever. And so we rest back. Guess where that leads us back to? Right here, right? It leads us right back here, however you're hearing it. We're going to see in verse 29 that the Spirit of God speaks to him. And, and that, I think, makes more sense. Like, we, I, I experienced that a whole lot more, where God will speak. All that to be said, the angel Lord spoke. Get up and go. Where was it? He? he was in Samaria. The city of, city or region of Samaria, experiencing what? But a harvest of souls. So how hard would it have been for him to dip on out of this place? Very difficult. A revival was taking place, and he was at the helm of it. That was the other thing. God was using him in a mighty way. And now all of a sudden, he's asking him to leave and go where there's nobody. That would have been difficult. The harvest is plentiful, Luke 10:2. but the labors are few. So what are we supposed to do? But to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'd send laborers out. Okay, so God, here we are as a church, do that. He had sent Philip out as a laborer in the harvest. And now all of a sudden, he's asking him to go where there is no harvest. This would have been difficult, perhaps, right? We're reading into the story some, but trying to learn, like, what would it have been like if God would have said, hey, Jordan, I want you to roll out to this place. Um, he was at the helm. God was using him in a mighty way. First Timothy 1.12. We had mentioned this maybe last week. 
that God is faithful and he's called you into ministry and he counted you faithful and he's put you in these places. He, he's the one who calls and he's the one who puts you there. So God placed Philip. He called him to go do that. Philip could have thought that he was at the pinnacle of ministry, having been used to reach an entire geographical location in Samaria and then the city of Samaria. He began a movement in a new mission field. That's significant. Don't let that be lost on you, that God took Philip, a normal dude, and moved him to Samaria, and he's now reaching a completely new people group that the church hadn't previously gone out to. Now, Jesus had gone there, okay, and planted some seed and sowed, right? He had done some work there. But now the gospel is going. Jesus had been crucified. He'd risen again. The Spirit's been uh, poured out on the church. And Philip is now taking the gospel to a new area. And this is exciting, man. Revival's taking place. And Philip's being used by this. But God had asked him to go to a deserted place. Uh, and like, why? <laughs> why would I want to do that? Get up and go, he says. Uh, you never know what God's doing. And you guys understand this, but that new, like, don't let it be lost on you how, I don't know, how vital it was that, like, Philip was being used to do something, like, really, really awesome. It's unusual and rare to encounter a person that God uses to in impact an entire geographical location. That's not a small work. That's a significant work. He had gone out and God used him in an amazing way. They're as close as it can get, I was thinking about this, we spent some time yesterday in Crawfordsville at a um, marriage marriage conference. Such a good time. And um, that was the church that uh, I grew up in when I got saved, went went to Calvary Chapel under Dave Kazee. And, uh, but he took the church over from a guy named George Markey and then was just reflecting on the story here and thinking how this applies to the, the just the idea of this, that it's just a really simple guy. And if you had known George, you would under, know that he was a super simple country dude wore overalls and like bibs and just he just looks like he's a farmer like literally just a farmer but it's a person who would obey and who god then took out of you know crawfordsville indiana in the 90s right and then moved him all the way over once the curtain had fallen the soviet union had gone you guys know the story i know but i'm just using it as an example it's not a small thing that happened that god would take a person and then move them over to another place and then god uses them to begin a movement in a particular location, the spreading of the gospel, a church planting movement. So we're not just seeing disciples made, we're seeing churches being planted. That's exciting. That's a lot of people, right? Exponential growth of the church. God did that with kind of a country bumpkin named George. He did it with some dude, normal guy named Philip. He uses, guess who he uses? You guys to do the work that he wants to do. You guys, that's what he does. And hopefully under the teaching of God's word, you're being equipped to do the work of ministry that God's called you to, whatever that might be. My hope is for today that God would open up your eyes to the fact that, man, if he's calling you to something, do it because you just don't know what's going to happen. Philip was a guy who was faithful, though. Okay, so we're going to shift gears just for a second. And I want to, uh, well, this is maybe a little bit of an aside, but I think it's worthwhile. It's instructive, at least. There's a book called Man Fields Manly Maxims, and it's it's exactly what you think. Some guy named Manfield made some maxims that are manly, <laughs> okay? And they're great. We've gone through them in different Bible studies I've had as men. They, they work for women as well, by the way. Uh, but it's from, a kind of a, it's from a perspective of a believer. But one of the maxims was this, and it's, it's manly men tend to their fields. And what he means by manly in the context of the book, especially in what we understand as manly, is a man who is like held captive by Jesus Christ, one who's yielded to the Holy Spirit. Not the kind of like worldly man, 
get that out of your head. We're talking about a man who is who is the Lord and who is is operating in the gifts of the Spirit and loving and and all these things. So we're talking a biblical manhood, just so we're aware. Manly men tend to their fields. We've, we've done this at the men's advance before where we'll draw like a rectangle and inside that as men, we'll write down all the different responsibilities that God has given us, things that are inside of our field, so to speak. Am I tending to it? And then in Proverbs chapter 24, I think it's Proverbs 24, the very end of it, <clears throat> Solomon says that I, I went to the field of a lazy man, a field of, um, a field of a man devoid of understanding. And he said, I looked upon it and I, I learned some things. You know, the, the, the fence was torn down, the, the rock wall was all bad, and there was weeds everywhere. And he's like, I learned something about this person. Uh, a little um, rest, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And so shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler and, an, uh, like a, and then your arm, and then your, oh, I lost it. I was so close to getting it done. Your need, your need like an armed man. Like an armed man. And so he, what he says is like this lazy bum. This is a guy who has a field that he's supposed to be tending to, but he's neglecting it. And then I'm like, as I do, I'm like, I don't want to neglect what God has put into my care as a husband, as a father, ministry that he's given in the, in the community that we have. Like, I want to tend to it. Manly men tend to, I want to do that, right? You guys tracking with me? Like, I want to do that thing. Theodore Roosevelt said it like this. This is, this is all part of that whole maxim. Big jobs usually go to the men who prove their ability to outgrow the small ones. And that's such a fun quote. Big jobs usually go to the men who prove their ability to outgrow the small ones. And this is all in context of who Philip is and his faithfulness to continue to follow Jesus. And guys, this is simple stuff. Simple stuff. Nothing spectacular. We'll get to it here in a second. We're going to go through his life very briefly. Jesus said it like this, though. Luke 19, 17, he says to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in what a little, right? Just a little bit. You were faithful. Go ahead and have 10 cities. And here we have Philip at a place where he had done what God had called him to do in Samaria. And now he was calling him to go to a place where no one was. What is that all about? And what is God trying to do? For Philip, we see this pattern. He was born again. That's where it starts, isn't it? You must be born again. You have to be following Christ to be used in this way. Like, so, okay, that's the first thing. If you're not born again, today's a great day to do it. Surrender your life to Jesus. Just do it. Follow him. Repent. He was born again. And then we find he was a man full of wisdom, full of the spirit of God, and he had a good reputation among those who were out there. That was in Acts chapter 6. We see him walking as a faithful deacon, serving the widows of the church and, and doling out the things that they needed. This is simple stuff, just serving, right? He's just serving in the church, whether that's children's ministry, greeting at the front door, working behind a coffee cart. This guy just served. That's all it was, just looking for ways to get involved. That's all he was trying to do. Uh, faithful as a deacon. Then we see, oh, and, and I'm much missing this, that his conduct, uh, Philippians 1.27 says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It goes on and has a lot more to say. But we see that with him. It's just, these are, these are, these are like building blocks, right? Like, God, would you do this work in me? Because we, we had spent time in Acts chapter eight dealing with how the fact that believers can still mess up and that we, we, we were walking in a place of need in discipleship that I need to be sanctified. That was kind of last week's message, right? That Like I'll blow it at times and I need help. We look at Simon the Sorcerer, like he he was messing up all the time. But he was a new believer trying to figure this stuff out. And I know there's a lot of us in here like, man, I'm trying to figure this out on what it means to follow Christ. And it's, it's hard sometimes. I don't understand it all. Discipleship. Philip was in that place where, where he was at, um, 
His conduct was worthy. He'd been discipled. He'd, he'd grown. God was just doing work in him. It might not have taken very long, and sometimes that's the case. He then was called to preach Christ in Samaria. Now it's getting real. Born again, just a faithful dude, full of the Spirit. Now he's serving little thing of the church. And now God is saying, hey, I want you to go. Now, why did he call him? How did he call him? Remember, it was, it was the persecution of Saul. So he's also like smart, like, I don't want to die, so I'm going to go back home. <laughs> So he begins to go and he's sharing the gospel as he's going. He's called to preach Christ in Samaria, faithful to continue to speak a message. That's all. And then he was used to start a movement, two different things, faithful to preach the gospel. And then God also used him to start a movement. That's awesome. Way to go, Philip. You can see it increasing. Do you guys see that? You're faithful a little bit and look what God's adding to him. Just, just faithful. Here I am, God. Here I want to be used. But then all of a sudden we see he gets called to a deserted place. It's like, oh man, has he messed up? Is he washed up? Is God putting him out the pasture? <laughs> What's going on here? Why is this happening? But here's the thing. You guys know the end of the story. You step back and you look at God and his sovereignty as he oversees all the affairs of this universe. And he knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And God sees something happening and he's orchestrating in the, the lives of people. He's, he's close and working and people leading and guiding Philip to do something incredible. That Philip has no idea what could possibly come from it but all oh, if he'll just trust the lord and obey you never know what will come there is no small call that god puts on our lives in verse 27 guess what happens he obeys god says go so he arose and went and you maybe could underline those words what we we just call that obedience god said go so philip went right simple god said go philip went god speaks to you you obey right <laughs> simple isn't it it's simple it's hard. I understand it could be difficult though, because sometimes we don't understand what he's saying. First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty two. So Samuel said, "Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as He does in obeying the voice of the Lord?" Ah, He loves it when you obey. Sacrifices are great; they serve a purpose. But man, He desires your heart, doesn't He? He wants your obedience. To obey, He says, "Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or to listen." is better than the fat of rams God has called us to obey if we would just listen to him, right? And obey the voice of, uh, the voice of God. Look what happens. He rose and he went and behold, look at that. Wouldn't you believe it? But a divine appointment. Behold, an a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch had charge of all her treasury and had and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now we're going to pause for a second and look into the life of this Ethiopian eunuch. There's some interesting things about him, but I want you to uh, not forget this, that oh, would you look at that. It just so happens in a deserted place is a very influential, uh, very important person from a different nation. And guess who God is bringing down along with it? You guys checking with me how awesome God is? Like he just sees it. He knows, God knows where this Ethiopian guy is and God's gonna send a faithful man to go preach the gospel to him because God loves him. How cool is that? And there's, there's, there's maybe more to the story too. It's possible that this Ethiopian eunuch was partly Jewish to begin with because here's what's up. In Acts chapter 10, you've got the gospel spreading for the first time to the Gentiles and this is never really noticed as the first time a Gentile is saved. And there's a couple reasons why we'll enumerate them you could come to the conclusion you want to come to. It is inconsequential in all ways, but it is interesting historically to consider what this might have been. 
So there's a dude named Josephus. He was a Jewish historian that lived back in the day. Um, he wrote a book called Antiquities. In that, Joseph argues that the Queen of Sheba, do you guys remember Queen of Sheba? Solomon, Queen of Sheba. Apparently they were better than friends, okay? The Queen of Sheba, with whom Solomon concluded a trade mission, was also one of the earliest queens of Ethiopia. Further, there was a very early tradition. By the way, when we talk about tradition, that means it's not in Scripture. That means, like, who knows? It's possible that it's true. It might be. But if it's in Scripture, here's what's up. It is true. If it's in tradition, well, you just hold real lightly to it. Like, who cares? Kind of. It's interesting, fun to think about, but it's not Scripture. Just so we're aware, we're just talking interesting facts of history, potentially. There's a very early tradition that Solomon loved the Queen of Sheba and sent her home not only with some gifts, but with some kids that he had fathered with her. <laughs> Great. Thanks for coming, honey. You know, heading back home. Ancient Jewish and Christian sources, Irenaeus and Jerome being among them, agreed that the descendants of the Queen of Sheba by Solomon and the Ethiopian eunuch in particular, this person we're dealing with, were to be regarded as at least partially Jewish. And so uh, our Bible verse for this last week was, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, or it is the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek. And what's interesting is you, the book of Acts is laid out in that format, Jew first and then Greek. But what's kind of fun is there's this little like detour of sorts to get from the Jew to the Greek over here. And you'll see him go through, I'll get to it in a second, but you'll see him go through the Jews there in Acts chapter two. We'll see Hellenistic Jews. We'll see partial Jews in Ethiopia. And then eventually we'll get to the to actual Gentiles, you know. So he's faithful to reach out to his people. Okay, this is kind of fun too. This actually uh, is still something relevant to this very day. I don't know if you guys are aware of any of this. After the today, you will be. Okay, so throw that picture up there, Ed. Thank you. Anybody ever heard of Operation Solomon? Come on, no history buffs. All right, all right. Of course, Mike would. Yes, of course, Michael would know this. Um. There's a couple other operations like this. This is fun little history here. May 24th and 25th, over a span of 36 hours, more than 14,300 Ethiopian Jews were covertly airlifted from a place like in northern Sudan near their Ethiopia area uh, over into Israel because they were in danger of their, their lives were in, in serious danger because of some civil war that was going on. And this is a picture of an airplane stuffed with people. What they did is they took out all the seats of the airplanes and they stuffed as many people as they could during this operation. A world record was set for the most people ever fit into an airplane. It was 1,089, I think, is how many people fit into an airplane. Uh, two babies were born on the airplane in flight, right? And, and this whole operation, in 36 hours, eight kids were born. Just fun little facts. But they did this because there was this kind of debate within Israel do we do this or do we not? There were people who were like, ah, we probably shouldn't. But then there was this realization that they're Jewish because of what I just read to you, right? So I'm just so you're aware, there's there's these ideas. Josephus talked about it, but it's something that's been held and it's relevant to this very day, at least in 1991. And, and still Ethiopian Jews are, are, are uh, moving on to Israel. There's a large population in Israel now. Kind of interesting history. What's, what's interesting about this particular guy, the Ethiopian eunuch, is that, well, he's a eunuch and he was going to Jerusalem to worship because he was Jewish by religion, whether he was a proselyte, that's fine. You can think that, or he was partially Jewish and understood himself to be Jewish. That's fine as well. But here's what's up. Did he know, and had he read Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse one, where uh, 
if you're a eunuch and have certain physical things taken care of and not there anymore, you can't come and worship in the temple. Did he know that? Hard to say. Um, it's, it's possible that they understood this. I, I, we just don't know. But you can imagine traveling something with this, they think maybe 1,500 miles to go worship in Jerusalem and then being forbidden to do so because of something that has happened to you and the disappointment that would have taken place. Now, this is me kind of perhaps reading into it a little bit to dramatize it, but it also hopefully can gain traction into your own hearts as to the beauty of Jesus Christ and how he reaches out to people who have been just absolutely kind of, I don't know what you would say, disenfranchised from the world. The world has offered them something or maybe the world's taken from them. You know, all these things, they've been uh, left out to dry. Here is a man who God loves desperately. And he's going to send Philip all the way to go minister to this dude because he has a plan for this particular person. This eunuch was a eunuch because he was not able to have kids. He wasn't able to spread or create a dynasty within a kingdom that could one day potentially usurp the current dynasty that was there. That's why they were eunuchs. The king could trust that this dude's not going to start spreading his seed out and doing his thing with all these other ladies that were the kings and then start some kind of a rebellion or something of that nature. That's why they were eunuchs. Uh, and so he had been taken, I'm sure probably not by his own will, to be a eunuch. And he was now no longer able to have any kids or any able to have any kind of dice. But here's what's cool is the possibility that God would take a man who could father no kids and let him be a spiritual father of a nation potentially back in Ethiopia where God says, here, man, here's what, and that's just the power of Jesus. He could take a person who you think there's no way and he gives you something beautiful like ministry to go and share the gospel with people. God is awesome and so worthy of being followed and obeyed. And here's Philip obeying. Here's the Ethiopian eunuch, hungry for the Lord. Really quick church tradition says that the Ethiopian eunuch evangelized by Philip in Acts chapter 8 uh, spread the gospel as he returned to Africa. And you'll see that there's going to be a Bible study. We'll get to it. Remember, you guys don't have to panic. We're going to go quickly through the rest. Church fathers as early as Irenaeus in 180 AD mentioned a eunuch evangelizing as he went to his homeland and evangelized in his homeland. And so you see the progression of salvation, Jew, Hellenistic Jews, Ethiopian Jews, and eventually we're going to get to us, those of you who aren't Jews, Gentiles, that we can be saved, that God will pour his spirit out on us. Romans 1.16, God is doing his work. Now, you'll see the Ethiopian eunuch was returning, he was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Look at verse 29. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. All right, so this is the strange part of the story where sometimes maybe you've heard that Philip had like supernatural spirit speed and he was able to catch up to this chariot. All right, possible, I don't know. But here's what's up. The odds of this chariot going 40 miles an hour down this road are pretty slim. A couple things. Uh, so this guy's reading from a scroll, which would be difficult. They were saying last service we learned don't scroll and drive, okay? So he's reading... He, somebody's driving for him, but he would add an entourage with him. They're not going a million miles an hour. They're probably putting along at walking speed because not everybody's going to have the ability to have a camel or a donkey or whatever they're using. This guy has a chariot because he's like, he's a boss, right? He's, he's a leader. He's has massive authority. Anyway, Philip is there. So just imagine the scene. I'm going to try to paint as best I can and hurry up. Philip walks down to this road where God told him to go. And he's sitting there, and wouldn't you know it, but there just so happens to be a caravan leaving Jerusalem 
with some very influential people. And so here's Philip probably just watching, right? He's sitting here watching. Oh, cool, interesting. And then he says, the Spirit said, I want you to go and talk to that guy. And then he's like, oh, what what guy? Like the most important guy? The guy who's the head of it all? You know, like the guy who's dressed really nice and has got all the, that guy? Yeah, that guy. Oh, man. And so like, what, what would you do? Think about your different excuses. We, we have like a study group on Tuesday and Wilson was talking about this. Of the different excuses Philip could have, and he the first thing he mentioned was, "Oh, my knees hurt. Like I can't catch up to this thing." It's like, "Yeah, I feel that. My knees hurt. I can't run." He says, "Overtake the chariot." That which is probably working, and he's supposed to go past it. Now, what's interesting? Uh, that word for uh, when we were in Saint Kitts, there there was uh, this word for passing was overtake them. And I remember driving probably with Brandon as he's got people in there with them. Like overtake, overtake, which means pass, pass them. Get around them, get in front of them so you can stop them and say something to them. So this is like Philip, imagine this, running or walking, whatever it was, and maybe it was just a jog, but he's catching up to these guys and he like gets in front of them and it's like, hey, you know, and stops them. Like this isn't a small, just want you to know, this isn't some like one guy sitting out here, nobody else is around. Just imagine what it would have been like for you to have the boldness to go up and stop a caravan and be like, hey, (laughs) God told me to talk to you, right? awkward like okay philip is doing some cool stuff here's what philip's doing it's called obedience right it's obedience just do it you never know what's going to happen there's so many cool stories that you can have people dip, you know people share when i think of this story my mind thinks of brandon and wendy going to st kitts and brandon just going and sitting at the basketball court it's an awesome story have him tell it to you someday and he just sits there kind of awkwardly right like okay here i am just sitting at the basketball court um very obviously, you know, stuck out in St. Kitts. He'd just sit there and just, Lord, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And all of a sudden, now he's playing with the guys and now he's getting to know them and you never know. Then a church, all these cool things happen. You just never know what God's doing. Obey, right? Trust him. Obey him. Ah, okay. This has taken so much longer than it should have. Philip said, go and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him. Hey, check it out. Second time we see it, God said, go. So Philip ran to him. Philip ran to him and wouldn't you know it, but he heard him reading from the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, these verses, you can think of just some principles in evangelism. The first one is this. Well, maybe the pre-first one is just obey God, right? Trust him. We'll get to that, I suppose, in a second. But ask good questions. Notice he goes up to him. And says, do you understand what you're reading? Where is this guy at? He's wanting to know where you're at. Are you on the same page here? Is there any way that I can help? Asking good questions reveals something about your own heart like this, that you're genuine and that you actually care about a person enough to try to understand where they're at instead of you just barfing on them a bunch of information. You're actually wanting to know where are you and where can I interact with you on the place where you're at? always wanting to get to, we'll get to verse 35 in a second where he's going to open his mouth and he's going to preach Jesus. That's the end. But how do I get to that place? Well, that's that's a, like, Lord, help me. Ask good questions. Where are you in your relationship with the Lord? And so he's reading this. And can you imagine the timing of all of this? I find it to be ah, incredible. How many opportunities do you think you've missed? And don't don't make this weird or condemning. It's just a question. How many opportunities do you think that you have missed because of slow obedience? Not just a lack of obedience, which is his own thing. 
What about slow obedience? Because what if Philip, when the angel spoke to him, was like, oh, that's kind of strange, which by the way, it would have been. I don't know, but he just knew this is what the Lord was asking him to do. So what did he do? He obeyed right away. And then he's sitting there watching this entourage move because had he not gone when he had, would the, the people wouldn't have been there, right? They would have been gone. They would have been moving down and going to Ethiopia. But then all of a sudden there he is and he's sitting there and the spirits like go overtake him. It's like, I don't know. <clears throat> that seems weird, God. Like me, go over and take him. I can't, I'm not going to stop this whole train, you know, and then you're thinking about it. And then all of a sudden, ah, they're gone. Okay, whatever. It's just a nice little prayer walk now. I'll just pray for him, you know, whatever. Cool. I honestly, there have been times in my life where that exact situation has taken place. I sense a prompting of God's spirit to go say something, to go do something. And it's like, I don't know. And then guess what? They drive off and it's too late now. Or this Now God's sovereign over it. We're not, we're not, we're not stressing that. Like God, you knew I wasn't going to, I'm sorry. And you'll take care of that person. I'm not, that's not on me to that degree. Right. But it's like, there are definitely times it's like, I missed out on experiencing something cool. Why? I'm a coward or I, I just don't want to, or I'm comfortable. Like ah, how many opportunities do I miss? Because I'm just slow to obey. I'm not going as I, ah, man. So those are things where we just consider, right? It's not condemnation or anything of that nature. I'm just considering. I don't want to be slow to obey. I want to be quick to obey God. I want to know his voice and I want to hear him and do what he's asked us to do. Do you understand? Ask good questions. And this guy happens to say, well, man, how could I unless somebody guides me? He asked Philip to come. He said, come up here and sit with me. Cool. I mean, just imagine just the timing of all of this, how God is just orchestrating every bit of it uh, much better than I'm orchestrating my time here for the service. <laughs> but that's okay because I'm not going to apologize. All right, so here's what's up. 32, and the place in scripture that he was reading was this, which bear with me for a second. What are the odds? <laughs> okay, what are the chances? I don't know if you've ever read the book of Isaiah. It's 66 chapters, how we have it. There were chapters then, but it's kind of like the Bible packaged in one book. You know, if you read it, all that to be said, it's a long book. <laughs> it's a long, long book. Awesome book. He would have had a scroll that would have cost the, the equivalent of a hundred thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in modern equivalency, maybe even millions of dollars. Like we're talking crazy because all the, never mind, I won't go into it because of time, but it's, it's a cool study. Just what a scroll of Isaiah would have cost, right? I mean, just imagine all the animal skins to, okay. So he has it and he's not going to be reckless with it. Meaning they're not going 40 miles an hour down some dirt road reading night he's 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 gonna be chilling so he would have been rolling this scroll right you guys tracking you guys have seen it perhaps rolling a scroll or something to this effect and he just so happens to be reading this place in scripture verse 32 and this is where you can learn trust god and center everything around his word he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before it shears his silence so he opened not his mouth in his humiliation his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And right there and then, we see that God has orchestrated what a such a beautiful divine appointment where this Ethiopian eunuch is there hungering. What is What does this mean? Having gone to Jerusalem and likely rejected to be able to worship in the temple because of who he is and, and what has happened to him, now he's going back and he's reading about a person who's who was humiliated, reading about a person who did have justice, right, and, and was taken from him, life taken from the earth, almost like you can't have kids. How is he related to it? Who knows? But he's reading this and it's about Jesus. And now he's asking, who, who is this prophet talking about himself or another man? And verse 35, Philip opened up his mouth 
and starting right here at this scripture, right where the guy was, you guys tracking with me? He didn't go over here as, oh, let me tell you about Moses or let me tell you about this over here. He started right where the guy was, you guys tracking with me? Right where he was in the scripture. This is a spirit-led thing, like, oh God, please. And he opened up his mouth and he preached Jesus to him. Isn't that great? So ask good questions. Trust that God is leading this appointment that you have. Center everything on God's word and be bold with this. Open your mouth and talk about Jesus. That's, he's the only one who can save, right? Open your mouth and talk about Jesus. He's the only one who can save. And then be specific. We'll see that because now as they went down the road, this is verse 36. They came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? It's likely that as he went to Jerusalem, there were these pools that you would dip yourself into to kind of ceremoniously clean you and allow you to go in. It was a way of just saying, I'm washing myself of these sins and I just want to go in. I want to be before the Lord. It's likely that he was not able to do that because of who he was and, and like the, uh, his limitations that he had. But here we are and you just see the beauty of the gospel and the, the grace of God extending to literally everyone. Yes, you can be saved. He says, well, sweet, can we be baptized? And Philip's like, let's go. Making that public declaration that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, because they just got done having a big old long Bible study about Jesus. And Philip and the Ethiopian Eunuch was like, dude, I believe in that. That's what he's going to say, right? Verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. This is our confession that we have being specific about who Jesus is. Not ambiguous. Who he is and what he's done is very specific and important to understand. We share that. That's what we evangelize, Jesus. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and he was baptized. And now when they came out of the water, something very normal happened. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, (laughs) and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. The eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he was a new creation. The weight of his sins and burdens, all the things that had gone on with him, he could know like Jesus has saved me. He understands me, gets me. He's been there and he's done that. He, he can now relate to God now in the, for the very first time. He is accepted no matter what happened to his body physically, no matter what he looks like, nothing. He's accepted in the beloved. He is loved by Jesus Christ. He's brought into the family of God. Super cool stuff happening and he's rejoicing because of it. Because why wouldn't you rejoice? He's fired up about it. That interesting thing with happened with Philip is he got translated, as best we know, about 10 miles away to this place called Astosis. And you'll see uh, Philip was found at this spot. What would that have been like? Let's not even go there because we don't have time. But passing through, notice Philip, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Really cool history with Philip. Um, and as I'm talking about this, you guys, whoever comes to the stage can come up. But Acts chapter 21, verse 8, you can turn to it. It just shares this. It's about 20 years later, 25 years later, depending on the Acts, maybe 30 years later, you see Philip. Now listen, having been born again, full of spirit, all these different things, right? We just went through it. And finally, <clears throat> after reaching the pinnacle of ministry, he's called to go to a deserted place, which he meets this guy, shares the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch, who then God takes, likely, down to Ethiopia and just plants the seeds of the gospel in the nation, the the northern part of Africa. Hey, other apostles and other disciples would follow in his footsteps and go down and spread the gospel. 
But Philip was used to be the father in ways and then to share with this guy so he could go and be the father of like the spiritual kids of this nation. And uh, Philip then, what did he do after that? He did what he always did. He just went along the coastline because he's not an idiot, by the way. How beautiful is that coastline? I'm going to find out in about, you know, a year. <laughs> Yay for Israel. But how beautiful is that coastline? It's beautiful. He walks along the coastline and he, and he, he makes his home in Caesarea. It's a beautiful little town on the you know on the shore of mediterranean sea hey smart move philip or uh, philip yeah good job 25 or so years later guess who starts walking around here comes paul here comes luke and his like little his group of people and they meet up with philip here in caesarea and 25 years of faithfully serving the lord there he is he he was known as philip the evangelist by this point in time because the dude just couldn't help it right he just couldn't help it. He, he shared Jesus with people. That's what he's always done. That's what he's doing. This is a guy who had a long obedience, and I'm going to say it like this, in God's direction, right? Obeying the Spirit. Understanding this, that a move of God's Spirit will always require obedience. But it's to a call you might not fully understand, right? You just might not see it at the time. I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I just want to trust you. It requires you to trust him. And it requires you also, by the way, to enjoy the ride. You just don't know what it's going to be like. A move of God's spirit is going to require you to obey a calling you might not fully understand. And it's like, Lord, here I am. I'm just going to trust you. So, all right, I should be done. Okay. Well, Lord, we need your help in, in navigating these things. You're calling people to do things that are exciting and awesome, but also like hard sometimes awkward, controversial maybe, because it's the gospel, it's offensive. But God, would you give us the boldness that you gave Philip? You've, you've given us the spirit, it's the exact same spirit, and we ask for that, that we'd be sensitive to your, your leading and your guiding, that we wouldn't shy away from being led by your spirit, that we would listen to you and obey. Those of us who, who struggle with obedience, God, help us. We cry out to you, help us. But those of us who are slow to obey, God, help us. Be quick to answer your call and to expect and see and watch you move in incredible ways, ways that we can only imagine. That you would fill this place up with stories of divine appointments and excitement that you are moving and you have a heart for the lost. For people who've been rejected, that you desire to draw them near to you, a God who loves and accepts us because of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we can be washed of our sins by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that, that you've offered us an opportunity and a chance to be saved from our sin. You are such a good and awesome God. Will you use us in a powerful way to get out there in the harvest, just like what Philip did and as the church has continued to do and like what we've done here for these last 34 years as a church. God, use us in a powerful way. Fill us with your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen.